Blog Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. And we depend on it. And, they do uh, a great job. 
Yeah. Very friendly guys we have working in our local yeah, club. Shout we out are to, always happy to help. Shout out to Andy and Larry, and hopefully they, uh, they're, they're, they're two guys that keep rocking and rolling over there. Yeah. Keep the place moving. It's unbelievable how hard they work. Uh, right to work laws won't save Illinois. Yeah. Governor Bruce Rohner yeah. has fired the first, whoops. First shot. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, Governor. Bruce Rohner has fired the first salvo in a campaign to turn Illinois into a right-to-work state. Like other right-to-work advocates, he bases his argument on claims that this will strengthen the state's economy and raise its standards of living. Does he have a case? No, not so you'd notice. Almost half of all U.S. states, 24 of them, have laws on right-to-work, or RTW, which means that workers in a unionized business don't have to join that union or pay its dues. Economically, these states are all over the map, some doing fine, others poorly, some as low unemployment, uh, others with high unemployment, and some in debt, and others in surplus. Some of these states, oh, sorry, some of these states have been uh, right-to-work states for a half century or more, so comparisons are valid. The upshot, it's, it's impossible to claim uh, that our uh, right-to-work laws uh, help state economies. Right-to-work advocates such as Rohner uh, simply haven't made their case. If these laws have any impact on a state's well-being, the evidence doesn't show it. Except for one thing. Invariably, wages are lower in right-to-work states. The 12 states with the highest wages, including Illinois, are all non-right-to-work states. Of the 12 states with the lowest wage, eight, including neighboring Indiana and Iowa, are right-to-work states. Rauner and other anti-union politicians claim that if weaker unions lead to lower wages, this just makes Illinois more attractive to business and investment. Maybe so, but they can't argue that it's good for the state's workers. Do right-to-work laws create jobs and lower unemployment? Well, six of ten states with the lowest unemployment are right-to-work states. You just... But this includes some southern states such as Mississippi and South Carolina which have worse problems than unions. Rana has taken the first steps toward building toward making Illinois a right to work state with his executive order barring public sector unions from requiring state workers to pay union dues. Earlier, he suggested that cities could create their own right-to-work empowerment zones. He denies that he wants to make all Illinois a right-to-work state, but is clearly following the lead of governors in Wisconsin and Ohio and who have limited union power, or in Indiana and Michigan, which enacted outright right-to-work legislation. I started research on the subject after getting an email from, um, let me just move this, No, I couldn't get that to move. That's harmless. Okay. Yeah, I have to go back up. Okay, that's it. research on the subject after getting an email from a university scholar in Iowa who noted that his state has low unemployment and a state budget surplus, presumably because of its right-to-work law. Well, again, maybe so, but Iowa was one of the first RTW states with a law that dates back to 1947. In the 68 years since then, Iowa's been up and it's been down. It's had good times and bad. It's had high unemployment and low. It's had booms and recessions. Its economy, based on farming and heavy industry, 
does well when experts are up and badly when they're down. Maybe the right-to-work law plays a role here, but it's more likely that Iowa's economy really depends on high corn prices and the exchange rate of the U.S. dollar. Granted, Iowa lost a lot of jobs when Whirlpool Corporation, having bought Maytag in 2006, closed its Newton plant in 2007 and moved thousands of United Auto Worker jobs to Mexico. Perhaps Whirlpool just wanted to escape unions, but it took its own sweet time to do it, 60 years since the RTW law was passed. Pro-business organizations such as Forbes and the Tax have to issue rankings of the most business-friendly states.
Under the recent U.S.-Korea trade deal, our trade deficit with Korea ballooned, costing thousands more U.S. jobs. The public should also know about investor state provisions, which prioritize corporate profits over public interest and allow foreign corporations to seek sanctions and damages from national governments. These suits are heard in private trade tribunals where corporations challenge laws they believe reduce their profits, including worker protections, public health programs, and policies that reduce the use of fossil fuels. Uh, Larry just canceled. Oh, he did. Yeah, he can't. Yeah, he couldn't. Uh, he couldn't do it. That's why he called. Oh, oh that's too bad. He said sorry for the late notice, but he's tied up in that meeting. And he just couldn't do yeah, it. Yeah, he's at a he's at a school board meeting that uh, are negotiating the para uh, contracts. Para contracts with the uh, you know, paraprofessional contracts, and uh, he said he was hoping to get out of there at eight o'clock, but uh, it looks like it's going to be much later. It's going to be later. So. Oh dear. So he's, uh, I, I don't know what his, you know, well, he's a public affairs is, guy, but what his role in negotiating is. But Maybe you know, he's just observing and reporting on it. Yeah, something, or uh, I'm not sure, but, yeah, unfortunately. Now we took a chance. And, uh, Maybe he can be on next anyway. week. I'm sure he will. I know you're disappointed, folks. Maybe next week. Yeah, yeah, we, we always like having Larry on. He's, he's he really adds a lot to the show and gives really us does. a real perspective on what unions are thinking and yeah. doing. Really does. Hmm. So anyway, um, sorry about that. We were going to do the uh, right to work thing there, but let's. What are, you, are you finished with that? Are no, I have a little more. I have, I have quite okay, a bit okay, more. Yeah. Um, the public should also know about investor state provisions, which I just read, which prioritize corporate profits over public interest. Since similar provisions in the NAFTA-style trade deals have already allowed global corporations to launch nearly 600 challenges against almost 100 governments, these tribal unions decide cases based on language in the trade deals. They are not bound by our legal traditions or the U.S. Constitution. Governor Jay Inslee's recent letter to the U.S. Trade Representative called attention to these so-called investor state dispute settlement mechanism. This mechanism provides foreign investors with both greater procedural and substantive rights than domestic companies by providing foreign companies access to extrajudicial panels and by giving them the opportunity to be awarded compensation for government measures that would not be considered a violation of property rights protection under U.S. law. It certainly appears that we are as susceptible to losing a case if the legal reasoning used in favor of U.S. investors under certain cases in the past were to be applied against our country's policies in the future. In its current form, the liabilities of investor state provisions outweigh their potential value. NAFTA-style trade deals like TPP would thwart generations of U.S. legal tradition and restrict our policy options for dealing with climate change, wage stagnation, and income inequality. A European diplomat, Ambassador Jorge Val de Almedia, speaking in Seattle at the World Affairs Council meeting in October 2013, said global businesses would welcome this outcome. He concluded, these agreements will determine how life is organized in 2050. We have learned two things about NAFTA-style free trade agreements. They are not free and they are not trade. Having experienced 20 years of deindustrialization, job loss, and concentration of wealth and influence from NAFTA and similar trade deals, we can add they don't work and their distortions of power relationships weaken democracy. Oh, very scary. Yeah, Larry's going to be on next week. He just emailed me. Uh, so. um, and uh, let's see, what was I going to say? Uh, I wanted to mention this. Which federal agencies below has its own SWAT team? U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services, 
U.S. National Park Service, Food and Drug Administration, NASA, uh, the Department of Education, or all of the above? Food and Drug Administration? All of the above. Wow. All of the above, yeah. All of the above. Smart gear all all have their own SWAT teams. Yeah, I remember we were talking about SWAT teams going in to arrest uh, organic farmers. Yeah, I do. And, I remember uh, that. And, and uh, uh, that's why I thought markets that's why stuff. I thought it was the Food and Drug Administration. Fish and Wildlife Service. But I guess it's all of them. Yeah. Oh yeah, they all. Yeah. <laughs> I had to laugh when I heard this. Way to skip Netanyahu's tawdry and high-handed stunt. The list of Democrats skipping the Israeli Prime Minister's planned speech continues to grow. Well, let's see yeah. who's skipping it. Yeah, I figure that either Democrats have a new funding source or they're taking testosterone. Oh, who said that? You did? Me. Oh, did they have a list of the people skipping it? For some it? reason, I'm not sure. It's from MSNBC. Bernie Sanders, uh, Vermont Independent, became the first senator to announce he will not attend Netanyahu's address scheduled for March 3rd. By last night, however, the senator had some company when his fellow Vermonter, Senator Pat Leahy, announced he'll skip the event. The unfortunate way that... I'm really surprised Bernie Sanders is skipping. Very surprised. Because, I mean, he's a real pro-Zionist. And the... The unfortunate way the House leaders have un- unilaterally arranged this and then heavily politicized it has demo- demolished the potential constructive value of this joint meeting, we, Leahy said in the statement. They have orchestrated a tawdry, high-handed stunt that has embarrassed not only Israel, but the Congress itself. While Saunders was the first senator to say he was boycotting Netanyahu's address, Leahy uh, uh, played a much larger role in U.S. foreign affairs. He chairs the Senate Appropriations Subcommittee on State and Foreign Operations. Leahy's statement added, it's been long been an unroot and rule in practice through the decades. When it comes to American foreign policy, we speak and act thoughtfully with one voice when we can, with the national interests of the U.S. at our uppermost consideration, and with caution about the unintended consequences of a unilateral action like this. They have diminished that value of precedent. The Hill has an outlined whip list, and as of this moment, these two senators joined 12 House Democrats in publicly deter- declaring they will not be on hand for Netanyahu's remark to the Joyce session. Voice Pre- Vice President Biden, of course, will also not be there. At the same time, 25 House Democrats and six Dem- Senate Democrats have said that they will attend the event leaving the vast majority of Democrats on Capitol Hill in an undecided camp. As for the White House, Cassie Hunt uh, reported yesterday on President Obama's most direct comments on the controversy to date. He says, foreign leader running for a re-election, uh, don't expect us to swing by the White House, or at least that's uh, President uh, Obama's explanation of why Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, won't be invited to stop by when he visits the U.S. next month, just weeks before he's scheduled to face voter back home. As much as I love Angela Merkel, if she were two weeks from an election, she probably would not have received an invitation to the White House, and I suspect she wouldn't have asked for one, President Obama said during a joint press conference Monday with the German Chancellor. But remember, remember, remember this. We read this, I believe, last week. Um, that uh, you know, he Obama had sent a whole team um, to uh, of, uh, of of politically uh, political um, managers, okay, to 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 uh, to, to, uh, to Israel to to organize the opposition. Yeah, uh, uh, Obama went on to say the U.S.-Israeli relationship extends beyond parties and has to do with the unbreakable bond that we feel with our commitment to Israel. Blah 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 crap. But the the key is is that he sent his own guys over there to uh, you know to uh, 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 knock Netanyahu out of the box. You know what I mean? So that's the case. This is really interesting. This one here. Official report: Connecticut residents completely ignore new gun laws. 
Only 4% of illegal guns and ammo are registered in Connecticut. Huh? That's good. Proud of them. This is big news. Maybe Connecticut really is a constitutional state after all. Estimates and official reports by the Connecticut Office of uh, Legislative Research um, issued before the new law uh, suggests before the new law suggests there are many, many more that went unregistered. Massive non-compliance with gun registration schemes has been the norm in the United States and abroad. Experts pointed out the analysts say. That is likely what happened in Connecticut. Yeah. Yeah. And I would like you to meet Satan. Hi. I'm Eve Evelyn Rothschild. Believe it or not, Evelyn is a guy. Huh. Right? My family financed the Nazis. We were commissioned by the royal family to put down the American Revolution. We financed the Communist Revolution in Russia. We destroyed Palestine to create Israel, and we were behind 9-11 and the resulting wars. We own the world's central banking system along with the Associated Press and Reuters, so we control all the news. Oh, they fired Brian Williams, huh? <laughs> did, Evelyn, no, no, did you fire... Uh, oh, no, he, he, they're Reuters and Associated Press, which is where everybody gets their news from. Well, they probably actually, fired him. Yeah. And suggested he be fired. He probably sure, did. I, I, sure, he must have said something bad yeah. about the Rothschilds. Couldn't imagine what. Ooh. Now this one, this one, folks. This one, if this doesn't perk your ears up, I don't know what uh -huh. will. Lawmakers trying to pass a bill exempting politicians from arrest <laughs> and prosecution for corruption. Yeah. Isn't that, <laughs> isn't that wonderful? Oh, gee. Isn't that amazing? This is from Mint Press News. Lawmakers are trying to pass this, okay? And uh, this is in, uh, let's see, Oklahoma. Oh. Taking payoffs, breaking the law, and push, pushing through unconstitutional legislation as special favors to corporate interests has long been part of the course in politics. But now Representative Kevin Calvey, Republican in Oklahoma City, wants to make it official and make it illegal to arrest any state officials accused of public offense. Mm -hmm. Imagine this guy. Okay, Representative Calvi has introduced House Bill 2206 and would prohibit Oklahoma's district attorneys from prosecuting state officials, granting that power exclusively to the state attorney general. This would exempt lawmakers from prosecution of nearly any crimes that are normally handled at the local level. The bill proposes the following. The jurisdiction of a prosecution against a principal in a commission of a public offense when such principal is a state elected official, state legislator, district court judicial officer, appellate judicial officer, or an appointee of a state board or state commission at the time of the commission of the offense is within the sole and exclusive per secure prosecutorial authority of the attorney general. Such an action must be filed in the county of residence of the state officer. It's a big deal to me. I'm upset and concerned, Oklahoma City District Attorney David Prater. This bill creates a different class of citizens that would be protected from the normal prosecution process. I wonder, I wonder if that extends to when they are out of office, too, probably. Yeah, who knows? What a bunch of jerks. What a bunch of crooks. Just a bunch of crooks who want to make it legal for them to be crooks. Yep. Chris Christie shows fondness for luxury benefits when others pay the bill. Well, the image of Chris, Governor Chris Christie of New York, of New Jersey, rather, is that of a populist everyman preaching austerity. That's full of crap with that. This guy's the biggest rip-off bum there ever was. All right? All right, let's go ahead. Chris Christie of New Jersey wanted to depart on a trade mission to Israel in 2012. His entourage was delayed by a late arrival. Mr. Christie's father, who had accidentally headed to the wrong airport, a, a commercial flight might have left without him, but in this case there was no rush. The private plane in which Mr. Christie had his own bedroom had been lent by Sheldon G. Adelson, the billionaire casino owner and supporter of Israel. At the time, he was opposing legislation then before the governor to legalize online gambling in New Jersey. Huh. <laughs> Mr. Christie loaded the plane with his wife, three of, of his four children, 
his mother-in-law, his father, and stepmother, four staff members, his former law partner, and a state trooper. King Abdullah of Jordan picked up the tab for a Christie family weekend at the end of the trip. The governor and two staff members who accompanied him uh, came back to, the, to New Jersey bubbling that they had celebrated with Bono, the lead singer of U2, at three parties, who at the King's residence. No, other, two at the King's the residence. The other, a champagne reception in the desert. Okay? But a small knot of AIDS fretted. The rooms in luxurious Kapinski Hotel had cost about $30,000. That would happen. Uh, what would happen if that became public? public? It did not for that moment, but it would not have been the first or last time that Chris Christie's uh, uh, desire for celebrity access and expensive trips has raised eyebrows. The governor, a Republican from preparing a run for president, shot to national prominence as a cheesesteak on the boardwalk. Every man uh, who bluntly preached transparency and austerity at the antidote, as the antidote to bloated state budget. But throughout his career in public service, Mr. Christie has embellished a taste that runs more toward champagne at the Four Seasons. He has also quietly let, other, let others pay the bills. Of course, everybody remembers his little... Uh, uh, this is a long article on this guy. Uh, all kinds of stuff that he takes and steals. Oh, wow. Yeah. Can't yeah. read the whole thing. It's just too long. Unbelievable. But anyway, everybody remembers his... his, uh, his uh, the bridge gate. Not the bridge, yeah, the bridge gate. But everybody remembers what he did and uh, when he when he rooted for the for the Dallas Cowboys. He was up in the yeah. in the booth there, yeah. up in a box. Yeah. Boom. All right. Well, let's see. There's a lot more stuff here that, that we can go through. Um, this is interesting here. You're not gonna really see anything. Not <laughs> Martin Luther King rally. Martin Luther. And his pepper spray happened to be a school teacher. He had just, just given, given a Black Lives Matter speech. I saw, and, and this damn cop just sprayed him for nothing. He was just walking by her. Now he is suing the city of Seattle for $500,000. I hope he wins. Me look too. at that. Look, look. He's on, look, he's just talking on a, on a, on a phone. Walking yeah. right by him, this woman just sprays him with, a, with this cop. Yeah, what was that him. all about? They weren't no even, they weren't doing anything. No. She pepper sprays the guy for no reason, just to be a beast. Yeah, and she's on a bicycle. Yeah, she's a bicycle cop. Yeah. You're a bike cop. You're a cop. Oh, man. T-shirt that's so dangerous. <laughs> oh, the T-shirt with a realistic image of a of a gun over your shoulder. It's, uh, uh, that's it. Gotcha, looks real. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's a T-shirt that has a. a Go ahead. 
you want to read that? Yeah, two years ago, shortly after President Obama won re-election, various Republican plans seeking to rig the Electoral College to benefit the GOP emerged in state legislatures. Through the details of these, though the details of these plans varied, they all shared the same basic concept. Change the rules in the blue states so that some of those states' electoral votes would go to Republicans while keeping the ordinary winner-take-all rules in place in red states. For a while, moreover, it appeared fairly likely that some of these plans could pass as top Republicans, including Republican National Committee Chairman Rince Priebus, endorsed them. Flash forward two years, and enthusiasm for rigging the Electoral College appears to have faded. Two GOP lawmakers, one member of the Virginia House of Delegates and one a state senator, introduced election-rigging plans during the current legislative session in their states. Both plans, however, received a little attention, and neither, according to a local news report, will receive a vote. According to Inside Nova, the first plan was not taken up by the House of Delegates while the other died in Senate committee. Had either plan advanced, it is likely that it would have been vetoed by Governor Terry McAuliffe, a Democrat. This article shows how it's all rigged. How the jury rigged the whole So anyway, um, Williams' big lie, 
when the entire U.S. media is a lie. The illusion of choice. There are 1,500 newspapers, 1,100 magazines, 9,000 radio stations, 1,500 TV stations, 2,400 publishers, owned by six corporations, 272 and 272 executives that control 90% of what 277 million Americans see, hear, and read. Every day. Isn't that amazing? Yep. Just amazing. Well, the Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen uh, says she will forcefully oppose an audit of the Federal Reserve. Okay. Okay. If you want to know what Yellen is hiding. Everything's all right. Oh, yeah. Well, she opposes it. She doesn't want to see it. But, you know, the incredible thing is, and the guy wrote on this, which really surprised me, was that uh, Elizabeth Warren, she approves that, too. She doesn't want the Fed to be audited. So no, she she lost my vote. Okay, yeah, she's lost my vote on everything. She's a Zionist and she's a corporatist and she's a, she's a big farce. All right, and uh, that's so to corral the the left liberal. That's all it is to corral the liberal, just like Dean was, yep. and uh, you know, and and Obama was, and uh, yep. you know everybody. So it's the same same politics. Same same thing. Yeah, she's a joke. That's too bad. Oh uh, my God. Americans are about to get a nice fat pay raise. Oh, yeah? Yeah, nothing. nothing. It seems can stop the freight train that is the American job market. Translation, the job market is tighter than it looks. Yeah. They're saying that uh, it's good news if if it's real, but, you know, I don't believe any of this stuff. I wish I could. Um, The Americans are about to get a raise. Okay. Uh, the global economy sure is facing plenty of risk right now. Greece remains a wild card. Economies across Europe and Asia are slow, are slowing, and U.S. economic data is getting bumpy with uh, soft factory orders yeah. and late, uh, latest examples. Yet nothing, it seems, can stop the freight train that is the American job market. On Friday, another strong payroll report confirmed the best run of jobs gained since 1997. On Tuesday, the latest data from government statisticians showed job openings at their highest level since 2001 for a seasonally adjusted 5 million openings. Uh, All indicators, uh, there's another related article, it says 5 million job openings, so why can't you get hired? That's a good question. Yeah. All indicators suggest that not only is the labor market tightening fast and increasing opportunities for out-of-work Americans, but it's setting the stage for a powerful surge of wage increases later this year. Oh, let's just see what this says. This related article it says jobs, five million job openings. So why can't you get hired? Huh? I'm curious why. Why can't you get hired? If you're looking for a job, I have some good news. You have five million to choose from. That's right. America currently has five million vacancies waiting to be filled. That's more job openings than we've had at any time since 2001. It's even true in proportional terms. If we account for population growth and express vacancies as a share of the labor force, the current job opening rate of 3.2% is still at a post-2001 high. It's a pretty good time for it to be a job seeker, or at least it could be, if you know where to look for jobs and you have the skills employers are looking for related the 10 best cities for job seekers. So where are these 5 million jobs hiding? And more to the point, why haven't you heard more about this bounty of opportunity? The answer, it turns out, has everything to do with a little discussed bias in popular conversations about the labor market. Friday morning, we'll get the latest unemployment numbers from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. As usual, the job report will be greeted with much fanfare as the statistics are sliced and diced in more ways than a crap game. But that unemployment entree, however, how artfully it may be spiced and sautéed, give us only half a meal. Why is that? While unemployment is a measure of excess supply, it tells us what portion of workers want jobs that don't have them. Because trends in unemployment tend to track closely with the overall state of the economy, it is a useful shorthand for describing the health of the labor market. 
There's more to the labor market than workers wanting jobs. Like a coin, markets have two sides. The counterweighted to supply is demand, and that's exactly what job openings give us, a measure of excess demand. We still don't know where the jobs are. Openings aren't to employers what unemployment is to employees, unfulfilled desires. It's only by putting the two together that we can accurately understand the labor market's vitality. Think of it this way. In December, 8.67 million Americans were counted as officially unemployed. That's a big number, but one that seems to a bit more manageable when you recognize America's 5 million vacancies are enough to provide more than half of them with jobs. Incidentally, the data on job openings is no state secret. They're released every month by the Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey, but they often get much less attention than this bottom. Okay. So job openings rate versus unemployment rate. And it shows the trends in job opening and unemployment rates of 2000. They still don't tell you where the friggin' jobs are. Okay, what an idiot. Okay, the, 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 the present situation are uh, something of a puzzle. Job opening rates are already surpassed as species and benchmark. The same can't be said of unemployment, although unemployment rate has fallen steadily in recent months to 5.6. It's still noticeably above 4.6, average from 207, blah, blah, blah. Let's jump to the bottom of this article. Where are the job openings? Oh, job and opening rates and unemployment. Openings in unemployment in construction is very high, but there's... But there's still that, opening, the light green of the opening. See, these are the percentages. They're yeah. 8.5%. Manufacturing is at 4 of almost 5%. And uh, it just goes on. It's seriously big. Um, wholesale and retail trade, um, very high. Uh, wholesale retail trades uh, are up. Geez, unemployment is up to... Uh, Oh, five and a half percent. Openings are actually at two percent. Okay. So, leisure and hospitality uh, is at. Oh my God. Uh, leisure and hospitality is at eight and a half percent unemployment, and openings are only at five uh, percent. So that leaves three percent of the, and uh, uh, you know three percent of the unemployed without uh, openings. So all the jobs are taken over. That's the problem. Okay. Um, you know, professional and business services is showing uh, almost 7% with almost 6% of the of it has openings. So uh, who has the most openings, professional business? No, nobody, really, because you see all this, these lines. Yep. The green lines show the highest amount of um, unemployment. unemployment. Uh, and these are the openings. Okay, huh. so all of these have far more people unemployed in their fields, all right, than uh, than than have openings, huh. all right. So the government is the one with the closest, and they they have two uh, percent openings and three percent unemployment. I mean, you know, this is this, you know three percent unemployment, and only two percent of it is you know. Well, I'm looking at at. Uh financial activity. So there's a job for every person who's looking for a job? That's what it seems to be. Well, everybody who's unemployed in financial activities there, there's an open, to be there's, an opening. And there's almost, uh, in education and health services, there's almost a job for everybody who's, who's unemployed, in, unemployed in there. In there. In that field. But and funny. professional and business services as well. Yeah. Almost. And government, not really... Uh, more the biggest more. discrepancy is the construction industry. Hospitality and leisure, too. Yeah. And wholesale uh, retail trades, warehousing, man managing, and mining and logging, very high there. Yeah. Uh, manufacturing and construction, of course, is the highest hmm. unemployed. So, anyway. Oh, uh, related. Taxing the wealthy promotes economic growth. That's true. Yeah. Because that means that you can turn that money over to expanding jobs, to welfare programs, and people have money to spend. Yeah. Well, so that improves the economy. We're doing just the opposite. The intention of the wealthy in this country is to turn the people of this country into economic right. slaves, I think. Yeah, well, this, this kind of gives it a, kind of clears it up. By contrast, high-skilled white-collar sectors are doing quite well. 
In finance, there's enough job openings for every job candidate. Workers in education and health, as well as those in professional service, have it nearly as good. Something to keep in mind as you parse the industry statistics is that first-time job seekers, which number about one million in every, any given month, are not included since unemployed workers are classified according to industry in which they last worked. So a million job seekers aren't even included yeah. in these statistics, okay? So that, that that's amazing, isn't it? So I mean, that's how skewed these, these things really are, you know? That's how skewed these, these statistics are. Um, let's see. Correspondence or lack of thereof between uh, unemployment and openings at the industry level has real consequence for people's well-being. Not only does the relative balance between the two dictate how uh, easy or difficult it is to find jobs, but it also influences what those uh, fortunate enough to find work earn. Take a look at one more figure from my report. It plots an industry earning growth thousand and seven to two thousand fourteen against average earnings in two thousand seven. The trend line is upward sloping and the points are clustered pretty tightly around it, which means the rich, or at least those people in higher earning jobs, are getting richer. The industries with highest average earnings are those that have seen their earnings grow the fastest. Once again, the winners are high skill sectors such as information and finance. Rich get richer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, it, it's 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 a typical thing, and uh, the jobs there's more job openings than there are jobs, even though you know people can't seem to get them yeah, or find them. Find them. Okay. There's not more. There's more. There's more people that need jobs than there are job openings. It's just that there's five million job openings that you know. They can't seem to fill. Well, they they fill, but there's still thousands or more that are there's uh, millions uh, more that can't be filled. Pardon? Yeah. Here we go. Meet Governor Bruce Rauner. We already talked about him. Creamer, since unions and collective bargaining are the major weapons every day, people have to raise their wages. His assault on unions is a directed pro- attack on the middle class. We just talked about him. Yeah. So anyway, I just, those are the main main factors that we wanted to talk about tonight. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of hoping to have Larry with us because uh, yeah, this has been interesting. We always try to talk about health and environment as well in, on these shows. And here it proves that unvaccinated children are healthier That's what it says in this article. than vaccinated. Uh, 90 study proves. Well, they have natural immunity. Yeah, whatever. Let's read it. A 20-year-old study from the 1990s has recently surfaced that compares unvaccinated children to vaccinated children. The study concludes that those who were vaccinated were more likely to suffer from the following illnesses. All right, asthma. Uh, wait a those who were vaccinated suffer from the following illnesses. Asthma, eczema, ear infections, hyperactivity, and many other chronic conditions. There was a tenfold increase in cases of tonsillitis in children who were vaccinated and 100% absent of tonsillitis than those unvaccinated. Huh. Wow. Does that make sense? <coughs> In 1992, the Immunization and Awareness Society conducted a survey to examine the health of New Zealand's children. Unsurprisingly, the results of this study indicated that unvaccinated children were far healthier than vaccinated children. Wow. Questionnaires were given out in IAS members IAS their friends and their associates asking various health questions. A total of 245 families returned the questionnaires, giving the researchers a total of 495 children surveyed. Of these children, 226 were vaccinated and 269 were unvaccinated. The ages of children range between the ages of two weeks to 46, to 46 years. Right? Obviously, some friends were older than older children, with older children. Of the children studied, 273 were males, 216 were females. 
six children were unclassified. Derek, Sue Claridge, who reported on the study, wrote, Respondents were asked to provide the year of birth gender and vaccinations received, whether or not the children suffered from a range of chronic conditions, asthma, eczema, ear infections, recurring tonsillitis, hyperactivity, diabetes, and epilepsy, or whether or not he or she needed grommets. What if that was? They had a tonsillectomy or were shown uh, developed motor skills. They were shown to develop motor skills. Walking, crawling, sitting. Parents also provided information on breastfeeding, bottle feeding, and when a child was weaned at breastfed. During the study, another interesting fact emerged. Researchers discovered that 92% of the children requiring a tonsillectomy operation had received the measles vaccination, uh, indicating that the vaccination for measles had, uh, may have made some of the children more susceptible to tonsillitis. The, <laughs> the study also revealed that 81% of the families had both vaccinated and unvaccinated children. Many of these families had vaccinated their older children but had grown more reluctant to vaccinate their younger children due to their growing concerns regarding vaccine safety. Researchers concluded that, while this is a very uh, limited study, uh, particularly in terms of the number of unvaccinated children that were involved in the range of chronic conditions investigated, it provides solid scientific evidence in support of considerable anecdotal evidence that unvaccinated children are healthier than their, vac uh, than their vaccinated peers. Now, although governments from around the world have continually stated that studying vaccines versus unvaccinated children would be unethical, the New Zealand registers are not the only group of research study comparisons. Huh? Vaccinated children are five times more likely to suffer from a range of diseases. Which yeah. we just said. Uh, mm -hmm. Other conditions found to be almost non-existent in unvaccinated condition, uh, children. The Dr. Andreas Backmeyer continued his report by stating the study found the prevalence of sinusitis, warts, skin problems, and middle ear infections were also much lower in the unvaccinated children, as were the cases of diabetes and epilepsy. Mm -hmm. He went on to say the results demonstrated that the prevalence of many conditions in the unvaccinated children were also significantly lower. They were dyslexia, speech delay, and articulation problems, sensory processing disorder, anxiety, depression, bedwetting, celiac disease, gluten sensitivity, and gastro... Reflux. A gastrointestinal uh, reflux. reflux. So all of these were, uh, were very low uh, in, in unvaccinated kids, but very high in vaccinated kids. I find it amazing that destroyed, despite mainstream media and leading government agencies stressing repeatedly the studies comparing vaccinated children to unvaccinated children cannot take place for ethical reasons. Groups around the world are taking it upon themselves to do these studies anyway. The studies show without a doubt that unvaccinated children are healthier than their vaccinated peers, and for this reason these studies should be given careful consideration by all parents and professionals studying vaccination safety. In other words, don't vaccinate your kids. We were told many years ago by um, Dr. Cassim Ingram that uh, one of our shows, said that all oh, that that vaccinations, the polio vaccination, measles, all these vaccinations cause cancer. And they're know, they're uh, related to a lot of the diseases major, of old age. Major, major diseases. So I mean, it was uh, too late for us. We were already vaccinated. We already were vaccinated. We we're a product of the fifties. We we're getting all kinds of forties and fifties, and getting all kinds of diseases that brought on by those things, diabetes and cancer and uh, dementia. What if died out in Palestine? If all that Americans want is security, they can go to prison. They'll have enough to eat, a bed, and a roof over their heads. But if an American wants to preserve his dignity and his equality as a human being, he must not bow his neck to any dictatorial government. Yep. God, they'd arrest him today. They would. He couldn't be president today. Uh-uh. Instead, we got this guy. Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh. Well, anyway, we're at the end of our show. And I want to thank everybody who joined us tonight. And I'm sorry we couldn't bring Larry on, but he'll be on with we us We hope we have week. him next week for you, yeah. folks. So uh, stay tuned to then. 
and please join me tomorrow night when I complete the uh, reading of the third eye. Uh, and I want to thank everybody and have a pleasant. Good night, folks. Enjoy the rest of your evening.